The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 18, starting in verse 20, So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Now Ahab is the wicked king that has compromised and is serving Baal and not serving God. And there are prophets of Baal. There are are ministers of Baal that he brings and gathers at Mount Carmel. Verse 21. But Elijah, now he's a prophet of the God of the Bible. He's the prophet of Jehovah God. And he says, Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Verse 22. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I, only am left of the prophets of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut cut it in pieces and lay it on wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire He is God. And all the people answered and said, it's well spoken. They all said, that's a good idea. Let's try it. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourself one bull and you prepare it first. He says, y'all go first. For you are many and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, oh, Baal, answer us. Listen, but there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar and that they made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud for he is God. Either he's musing, maybe he's out daydreaming and didn't hear you. Or he's relieving himself. Maybe he went to the bathroom. Or he's on a journey. Maybe he took a road trip and he just couldn't get back to you. Or perhaps he's asleep. And must be awakened. And they cried aloud and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But listen, there was no voice. No one answered. And no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he made a trench about the altar as great as he would con- as would contain two seas of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. That's a lot of water. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, oh Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. 
And then the fire of the Lord fell and it consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench and when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. May God bless the reading of his word in his house. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you use me this morning to communicate the truth and the power of your word? Thank you, Lord, that you are the God who answers by fire. And Lord, thank you, God, that you're the one who has the power to answer us when we call on your name. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be saved. Well, you may be saved, but you also may be seated. Um, another scripture. James chapter 5, verse 17, really quickly. It's our theme verse for this series. Very simple. Elijah was a man just like us. I love that. I love that. Because we so often make the heroes of the Bible into something that they are not. They are just men and women just like you and me. The only difference in Elijah's life, he didn't come from any special background. He wasn't a preacher. He wasn't from a family of generations of preachers and ministers. He wasn't even a priest. He was just a man who obeyed God and who prayed. That made the difference in Elijah's life. He was a man just like us. Now, today... Probably most of you in the room have heard the story that I just read. At least part of it, or you heard something about it before, about Elijah on Mount Carmel when he calls down fire from heaven and the God who answers by fire, let him be God. That, that's a, it's probably one of the most famous stories in the Old Testament. One of the definitely most dramatic stories of the Old Testament. And it's definitely the most famous story from Elijah's life. And so I want to look at this story and see what this episode in Elijah's life really means. Now, y'all remember, I told you the Bible's true. Amen? This really happened. Okay, Mount Carmel is a real place. You can go there today. It's really there. There were altars to different gods there at the, at the top of the mountain. And we can trust that the Bible, that this really happened. And they really did worship Baal. And, and there was compromise in Egypt, worshiping a false god named, or excuse me, compromise in Israel, worshiping a false god named Baal when they were supposed to be worshiping the God of Israel. All of that is true. So I want to look at what is this true episode, this historic episode in Elijah's life. What might it mean for us? And I think that if I was going to title this, this, this message today, I would title it with a question and I would say, what has your God ever done for you? What has your God ever done for you? I'm going to make a controversial statement. Some of the youth, I, I got a chance to be in uh, on a Wednesday night several weeks back and, and teach a little bit to them. And I made this statement to them, and, and so they've heard it before. But I'm going to make a, a controversial statement right, right now. Um, there is no such thing as an atheist. There is no such thing. Well, wait a minute. Pastor Seth, I've seen him on TV talk about they're an atheist, and I went to college, and the professor told me he was an atheist, and I, I went, I, I know my, I've got a friend at school that they say they're an atheist. What, what do you mean there's no such thing as an atheist? I, I, I just don't believe in them. I don't believe in atheists. 
What? How, how do you not believe in atheists? The word atheist, it's a compound Greek word, that, that A at the beginning, ah, and then the word theos, which means God. And that if you put A in front of a word in Greek, it means without. So um, we've got some medical professionals in the room. Uh, Bart, what is anemia? What does that mean? Yeah, there's certain things in your blood that you're without, right? Anemia. That's a Greek word as well. Um, and so whatever it might be, that you, there's a lot of words in English that we have that A in front of it. It means that you're without something. So the word atheist means without a God. Without God. But here's why I don't believe in atheists. Everybody has a God. Every single person has a God because everyone worships something. Everyone has a God because everyone worships something. The word worship literally just means what do you give worth to in your life? What is worth the most in your life? What is the highest priority in your life? What's the most important thing in your life? And if you can't stand here, sit here and answer that question by saying the most important thing in my life is a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you're not saved. You're not living for God. You don't have a relationship with God until you give Him your worship. But everybody worships something. I, I will prove it to you. You've been five minutes with somebody and you can find out who their God is. You, so you just have one easy conversation with the person, just kind of ask them a few questions about their life and where they spend their time and where they spend their money and who they associate with, and I'll be able to tell you who their God is. It's real easy. Everybody has a God. Most people who call themselves atheists they're not really atheists. They've got a God somewhere. Their God might be science. Their God might be uh, uh, money. Their God might be greed. Their God might be their job. It might be their family. It might be their boyfriend or their girlfriend. But they're not really an atheist because they're not living life without a God. They're just anti-God. They're not really atheists. They're just anti-whatever their idea of the God of the Bible is. Or the God that the Christians believe in. So I'm not really living without a God because somebody, everybody worships something. Something is my God. I'm just anti your idea about God. And whenever someone comes to me and they say something like, well, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. I ask them, I'll say, well, which God don't you believe in? And then usually you'll get an answer like, well, I don't believe that there's some man in the sky who's just ready to strike somebody with lightning and there he's angry and he's looking for a reason to send somebody to hell. And I say, I don't believe in that God either. Because that's not who we know God. I believe in the God that's revealed in Jesus Christ. Amen? He's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what God is like, just look at Jesus. And so then that opens up a door. Do you really not believe in God or do you just have a, a, a resistance to some idea about God that you have? So I don't believe in atheists. I don't think there's any such thing as an atheist. They're just anti-theists. They're anti-God. They're against some particular version or idea about God. And, and so everybody has a God. Everyone in this room, you've got a God. Everybody that you meet has a God. They, some people worship another person. Some people worship 
the image that they try to present on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook and, and social media. Some people worship a certain um, political party or a certain politician. Some people worship um, their, their sexual identity and, and the community that they uh, identify with. Some people worship their, their, their gender. Some people worship uh, nature. Some people worship um, uh, 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 their their job and their career. Some people worship their wife or their husband, and but everybody worships something because something has your attention. Something has a place of priority over over everything else in your life, and and you say, well, no, I really can't think of anything. I'm just living for myself. Well, we just found out who your God is. Yourself. Everybody has one. Everybody has a God. Now, Elijah realizes in 1 Kings 18, he's living in a world, in a, in a nation, where there's all kinds of compromise uh, between serving God and serving Baal. Uh, and he realizes it's not that they don't believe in God. They believe in the God of Israel. They've heard the stories for hundreds of years about how God called Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and how God rescued his people from starvation through their father Joseph and then how they were in, in slavery for 400 years in Egypt and they believe that God brought them out of slavery from Egypt. They believe all of that. It's not that they don't believe in God. They just have come to believe that Baal is a better God. They have come to believe that Baal, that false god, y'all remember a couple weeks ago I showed you the pictures of the statues that they worship, and they just believe that that god is more popular. Everybody's worshiping Baal, so we'll worship Baal. And we'll try to compromise, and we'll try to, we'll try to blend in this false god with, the, with our true faith. And the problem wasn't just that they had stopped worshiping God to worship Baal. Instead, they wanted to worship Baal while they pretended to still worship God. They wanted to have both. They wanted their cake and they wanted to eat it too. They wanted to compromise. They, they wanted to continue to feel like they were God's chosen people. They wanted to continue to claim the blessings of being God's chosen people, but also be able to compromise their worship and their attention with another God. They wanted both. They wanted to worship Baal, but they wanted Yahweh, Jehovah, the God of the Bible, to bless them. Now, there are a lot of great things you can say about our God. He is kind. He is he's slow to anger. He is merciful. He is forgiving. He is gracious. His love never fails and never ends. He, he will cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. When He forgives you, He casts our sin into the sea of forgetfulness. He is loving. He is powerful. He is miraculous. He is super. You can say a lot of great things about God, but there's one thing you can't say. He does not compromise. Our God does not compromise. He will not. He has not. He will never bend his will to compromise with your wishes. Ever. And Elijah gets up in chapter 18, verse 21, and he tells the people, he says, how long will you go along limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. And if Baal is God, then follow him. But quit this trying to have it both ways. Quit trying to be saved and still live like a sinner. 
Quit trying to be saved and still live in addiction. Quit trying to be saved and still live in, in, in that bad relationship that's no good for you. Quit trying to be saved and still serve some other idea about God or, or try to, I want to be a Christian, but I'm interested in Wicca or I'm interested in Buddhism or Hinduism. I want to serve God and Buddha or God and all. No, you got to quit limping between two opinions here. You've got to choose. And you know what? If Buddha is God, go serve him. Prove him to me that he's God. I'll go with you if you can prove to me he's got any power. But if God is God, then serve him. So Elijah's challenge to the people. He says, okay, you want to serve Baal? Let's just see how good Baal is. And he asked them, he basically says, what has Baal ever done for you? What has that false idea about who God is ever done for you? What has compromise ever done for you? What's that statue ever done in your life that's been any good? What's that beer bottle ever done in your life that's any good and really helped you in any way? What, what's that crack pipe ever done that ever helped you? What, what has that community that you've identified with, what have they really ever done for you? He says, if they're God, if that's the way to live and that's the right way to live, prove it. Prove it with the works in your life. Prove it with, does it really change anything? Does it really do you any good? If he were here today, I believe Elijah would say, what has alcohol ever done for you? Did it save your marriage? Or did it destroy your marriage? Did alcohol heal your relationship with your son or your daughter? Or did it drive a wedge between you and your son and your daughter? What has pornography ever done for you? Did pornography help your love life more? Did it help you love your spouse more? Or did it drive a wedge between you and your wife and your, and your husband? Did pornography ever really make you feel good about yourself? Or did it just bring on and pile on shame and condemnation? What has your God done for you? We were having this contest today between a false God and the God of the Bible. Here's what we would do. I would, I would ask you, get, what's the need? You were up here praying. What's the need in your life? What were you praying for this morning? What was the thing that's, that you walked in here carrying and that's something that you need solved and something that you need a solution for? And we would find that area of need in your life. We would find the area of need in our community. Uh, let's say poverty. You know, we live in, a, in an area that, that is ripe with poverty there's a problem that that is we all know is a need in our community and right along with poverty goes addiction you know that right they kind of go hand in hand and if I sat Jesus in front of you right now on one of these altars and I put a six pack of beer on that altar or I put a joint on that altar or I put a rig full of meth on that altar or a crack pipe on that altar and I said you choose which one is more likely to make a difference in your need So I don't worship other gods, Pastor Seth. I worship one true God. Well, what's in your refrigerator? What's in the console of your car when you go out there today? I'll tell you who your God is. 
And I could set those two options before you. Jesus, the cross on one side, or your addiction or your issue or your idol on the other side. And I'd say, try both and see which one will help transform this community for the better. Try one and see which one will transform your life or your marriage or make it better or make it stronger. Which one will help faster? Pray to your God and I'll pray to my God. And the one who answers, that's God. So Elijah, he gets them all together. He says, okay, we're going to have a contest. We're going to see which God really answers. He says, you get your bull. I'll get my bull. We'll both make altars to, to our respective gods. There's just one of me. There's 450 of you, so y'all are louder, so God ought to be able to hear you better. And he gave them six hours in the day. And he said, you got six hours. You can sit there. And I love, I love Elijah because he just gets up and after about three hours, he says, well, where's your God? Did you go to the bathroom? It's, he says it. Where's your God? He take a nap? You got to wait for him to wake up? Maybe he went on a trip somewhere in some far off galaxy and he's exploring or something and he just can't hear you. Where is he? And nothing happens. I, the Scripture says there was no voice. That God can't talk to you. That statue has no voice. And then so he lets him go a little bit longer and then what do they do? They, they get out their swords and they get, off, get out their, their, their knives and, and they begin to cut themselves as a sacrifice before Baal. And they believe that if uh, there's a belief, remember I told you Baal demanded human sacrifice, that they would even have to sacrifice their own babies and children in order to get Baal to answer their prayers. And so they're standing around that altar with the, with the dead bull waiting for fire to come, and they begin to cut their arms and cut their chest and let blood flow, thinking that maybe if I let the blood flow, that'll get Baal's attention. Listen. Serving a false God will eventually destroy you. That false God will ask more of you than He'll ever give to you. Ours is the only God I've ever known. I studied religion. I'm not bragging, but at a top 10 university in the country, I studied religion. It's not about me. I'm just telling you. I've been there. I've studied religion. No other God bled for anybody. This God demands blood from us. Our God bled for us. Serving some false God will eventually destroy you. He will demand more from you than He gives you. That's how addiction works, isn't it? Whatever, whatever drug you want to put in there, whatever issue you want to put in eventually that false God will demand more of you and it will eventually destroy you. They cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. If I, next Sunday when we come in here and we're going to start believing God for miracles and we're just going to start having a designated prayer time during every worship service, you would think I'd absolutely lost my mind if during that last worship song next Sunday, I pulled out a pocket knife and said, you know what, we're going to see if God really will answer today. Give me a wrist. Let's see if He answers. That's what they were doing though. I must have to hurt myself in order to get God's attention. I must have to hurt myself in order to heal myself. Worshiping that false God will eventually destroy you. So, Elijah, he sees all this going on. He knows 
he, it's almost like he's the only one left in Israel. There are a few other prophets, as you read in the Bible, that are out hiding in caves somewhere, and, and they're trying to figure things out and live for God. But Elijah's the only one willing to stand up and speak out and say, haven't y'all figured out Baal can't help you? I just, this is in my notes, I feel like the Lord is just speaking to someone today. Hadn't you figured out yet that that bottle can't help you? That that drug can't help you? That that screen that you pull up late at night when nobody else is awake, that can't help you? Haven't you figured that out yet? It won't fulfill you. It won't work. And actually it's destroying you. Verse 24, Elijah says, You call upon the name of your God, and I'll call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, He is God. The proof of God's power is found in His ability to answer the prayer of faith. One of the best ways that you'll ever witness or evangelize or tell someone or win people to the Lord is to start praying for their needs. Because when you start praying in faith for them and God answers, they're going to wonder, hey, how'd that happen? Tell me about that God you pray to. I was speaking to someone recently and they were, they were talking about how sometimes they felt guilty praying for God to meet their needs. Well, my needs aren't, so, aren't as great as other people's needs and, and I just... Um, I feel guilty for how, how good things are in my life sometimes and, and I just feel ashamed to ask God to meet a need because I know there are other people who have greater needs than me. But what if when people see that your God provides for you and your God takes care of you and your God answers your prayers and when you speak, God answers. What if that's how they see that God is real? And it's not like He's just short on blessings and so if He gives you one, He can't give somebody else another one. So what if you started praying the prayer of faith and believing that God would actually do what you pray and what is according to His will and meet the needs of His people and then other people say, well, I've got needs and no other God has helped me. So might as well go down to Believer's Fellowship where they worship God and they've, seen God. they've got a hundred miracles on the back wall out there and so I want to be number 101. Come on. The proof of God's power is found in His ability to answer the prayer of faith. I want to just point out three things about the altar for a moment. The altar that Elijah built. Because he, he, he goes and it says that he rebuilds the altar of the Lord that was torn down. What that means is on Mount Carmel where they were meeting, there had been at some point past, someone had built an altar to worship God on that mountain. Scholars believe that maybe King David built it there after he won a battle in that area. And he went up to the mountain and he built an altar to the Lord. But over the years and over the generations, compromise had taken place. They had stopped worshiping God. And so the altar kind of fell into disrepair. It had been, it was just ruins now. There wasn't anything left there. And so Elijah goes to Mount Carmel, says this is where we're going to have a showdown between Baal and God. And he says, y'all build you an altar, but I'm going to rebuild the altar that was here before. And he does that and he sets the wood and he sets the, 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 the bull on top of the wood. 
And then he does, you know, what just seems absolutely crazy because he just wants to show off how powerful our God is. And he says, I want you to get the biggest buckets of water you can find. And I want you to drench this whole thing with four big, huge buckets of water. And then he says, now do it again. And they do it and they do it again. It says it it ran down and filled up the trench around the altar. There was a lot of water around and on that altar. The wood was totally saturated and wet. And then Elijah prayed and then God answered and the fire fell from heaven and it lapped up the water. It consumed the sacrifice and everybody saw that the God who answers by fire, He is God. And the first thing I want to talk about this altar is the fire falls on an altar that won't compromise. The fire falls on an altar that won't compromise. Do you need God's power to show up in your life? Do you need God to answer an impossible prayer? Do you need God to do something that just seems totally impossible, totally out of the realm of anything that you can ever imagine? You just have a need and you need it met. Well, listen, if you need uh, God to do something in your life, you've got to build an altar that won't compromise. You've got to say this is an altar that is for God and God alone. My life belongs to Him and to Him alone. Look at verse 30. Then Elijah said to the people, he said, come near to me and all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Now some of you in the room, you've had encounters with God. You've had supernatural encounters with God. You have seen God answer prayer before. You have seen God do the miraculous before. But if you were honest with me this morning, you would say my altar is kind of in disrepair. That seems to be something in the past, but I haven't seen God really moving in my present. Some of you in the room, you've got a background you were gloriously saved out of. God totally delivered you from some things. He did a a miraculous healing in your life or in your marriage. and, And you saw the power of God when you started to serve Him. But over the years, compromise has come in and the altar has fallen into disrepair. Your home used to be an altar to the Lord. Your job used to be an altar to the Lord. Your prayer life used to be an altar to the Lord. And God showed up and did amazing things. But over the years, compromise Compromise has taken place and the altar has fallen into disrepair. And God is saying to you today, if you want me to show up in your life, if you want the fire of God to show up, if you want the power of God to be evident in your life, your first step is to build an altar that won't compromise. Tear down every other altar, get rid of every other thing, get rid of every other distraction, and just build an altar for me. In Acts chapter, I believe it was 19, and he, uh, Paul is in Ephesus, and he's there, and people are getting saved, and they're, 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 uh, they're, they're following after Jesus, and they're wanting to serve God, and they're wanting to be part of the kingdom, and they get saved, and then after they give their life to Jesus, they go home, and they get everything out of their house that isn't glorifying to God. They had been serving other false gods and they had been uh, practicing witchcraft and magic and fortune telling and they had their Ouija boards and their spell books and their their tapes and videos and CDs and and, and iPhones and stuff. Whatever it was that was leading them to be compromised, uh, into compromise from God, they got it all and they brought it to Paul and they built a big fire and they threw it in the fire and said if we're going to serve God, we can't serve any of this other stuff. It's got to get out. If my house is going to be a house where God dwells and where God does the impossible and God does the miraculous, I've got to get everything out that compromises. The fire will fall on an altar that won't compromise. Number two, the fire falls on an altar built in worship. 
I love that, that what, what we're doing right now is during our worship time, we're praying over the needs of people. That worship and prayer go together. That miracles happen when you begin to worship. See, in First uh, Kings 18.32, the Bible says that Elijah, with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He was, it was an act of worship to build an altar. Any time in the Old Testament that the people of Israel would win a battle because God had enabled them to have victory over their enemies, they would build an altar and worship God. When Israel was uh, escaping Egypt and God opened up the Red Sea and they walked through on dry land and then God closed the sea over top of Pharaoh's armies and the horses and the chariots and the, and the army was drowned, they got to the other side and they stood on the beach and what did they do? They started singing a worship song. They started worshiping God. They, anytime God did something great in their life, their response was worship. Anytime they needed something from God, their response was worship. I preached a few weeks ago about how King Jehoshaphat, he was facing the enemy and the Philistines were coming against him. And he said, before we fight this battle, we're going to send the praise team out first and we're going to worship first. And when we worship, God's going to give us the victory. See, when the fire, the fire will fall when we build an altar of worship. When we begin to make our lifestyles a lifestyle of worship. When we rebuild on the worship that we've experienced in the past, but we don't live on yesterday, we rebuild for today and believe God to do the miraculous. The fire of God falls on an altar built in worship. You want to see the fire of God just be set off in this place? You start worshiping Him. You get here at 1030 and not 1040 and you start worshiping. I actually get here at 1020 so you're ready at 1030. And you say, you know what? I don't have to wait for Pastor Katie or Joey to talk me into worshiping. I don't have to wait for them to whip me up into something. Well, I'll worship when they've got drums again. That's when I'll get real excited and worship. No, listen, you come in ready to worship if we didn't have a piano player if all katie could do was play chopsticks on that piano with two little fingers you ought to worship god and if you would start to worship god and not need anyone else to lead you in worship the fire would be set off in this place we would have glory in this house every week because god's people came to worship him and worship him alone it wasn't an afterthought it was a planned thing i chose to give god my sunday morning i chose to be here on time i chose to worship him i choose to go out after him, I don't have to, they don't have to pull my teeth. They don't have to twist my arm to get me to worship. He's just been so good. I've got to worship him. I've got to go after him. And listen, the fire of God would fall in this place every week if we build an altar of worship. Lastly, and I'm almost done. I'm, I got to land it somewhere. Number three, the fire falls on an altar saturated with prayer. Elijah, he takes the water. Water, it, it, it can get tricky when you're reading the Bible because water is a symbol for so many things. And so I was asking the Lord about this. I said, okay, so what's the... Because sometimes we, we saw in the tabernacle when we were studying the tabernacle that the basin of water before they would go into worship, that was a symbol of the Word of God. That the and, and Jesus even says this. He says, sanctify them and wash them with the word. And so there's sometimes water is a symbol of the word of God, the Bible, the, the words that God has spoken. And then sometimes um, the water is just a, a symbol of the blessings of the Lord. 
We actually, I think it was last week I talked about that, or the week before, where Elijah prayed for rain, or, or, and, you know, that rain was seen as a symbol of God's blessings on your life. So sometimes water is just a symbol of blessing. And then water is oftentimes a symbol of the Holy Spirit. When, when we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, and that there's rivers of living water that would flow out of you. You know, we use water sometimes as a, as a metaphor for, for the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and we even talk about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, where normally we talk about water baptism, but there's another baptism that's into the Holy Spirit. But there's just this imagery that water uh, symbolizes the Holy Spirit. And I was just like, Lord, why did he... I know that part of the reason he just poured the water on was because he wanted to show off God can do something just absolutely crazy and impossible. I understand that. But, but what is it about the water that he, that he pours on the altar? And there's a song that I remember hearing, uh, old Southern Gospel song. And the song was, I won't sing it, I'll quote it to you. The fire will fall when the wood is wet at a tear-stained altar where the church repents. And I, I was, I don't know who was over here, but there's still a little bit of water on the altar right here where somebody was leaning on the altar and, and talking to the Lord and water began to just saturate that altar. And it's something about when somebody came and they started to saturate this altar with prayer, the fire came. And when you, when you get to a place where my life is saturated in prayer, where, where, where a relationship with God empowered by the Holy Spirit, it totally permeates and saturates every part of my life, somehow that's when God chooses to let the fire fall. It's easy to start the fire with dry wood, but it's supernatural when the fire starts with wet wood. And you know, it's not man. It wasn't cooked up. It wasn't whipped up. It wasn't a trick. It wasn't just a show. But it was out of a place of brokenness and prayer before the Lord. I just feel like the Lord is saying, some of you, you need to find your tears. Someone's told you it's not okay to cry before the Lord. Yes, it is. Let it roll, baby. Let it go. Just get tears and snot all over this altar. We got Clorox wipes. We'll wipe it up later. But just let God just begin to... Let your brokenness be openness to God. Let, let the prayer of your heart just well up. And when you saturate the place of prayer, that's when God will send the fire. Elijah, his prayer says this. He says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I'm your servant and that I've done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you. Notice the humility in this prayer. He's not praying, Lord, prove me right in front of these 450 false gods. It's not what he's praying. He's saying, Lord, would you prove yourself right so that the people will see and turn their hearts back to you. What if we've been praying wrong? What if we've been praying, Lord, meet my needs because I just want something? What if we change that just slightly a little bit, the motivation, and we said, God, 
Would you meet this need so other people can would you meet this need so other people can see your goodness and your glory? Lord, would you answer this not just to meet my need, but that so that others can see how good you are and they'll be drawn to you. And when we get to that place where it's not just about a selfish need, but it's about kingdom, it's about expansion, it's about bringing other people in and welcoming other people in and letting the world's heart be turned back to God, I think the fire will start to fall. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Pastor Katie's going to come and lead us in worship. And uh, I know one of the things I'm trying to figure out is if we have an altar call before the, before the message, do we have another one? And Yeah, we do. I don't think that you can come too many times. Amen? And I just want to ask you this morning to consider for just a moment, who's your God? Now you say, well, we're in church this Sunday, so that's obvious, Pastor. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Because... If the definition of your God is the thing that has the highest priority in your life, the ultimate priority in your life, I want you to just take a moment and examine your heart and your life. You can maybe even just open, get your cell phone out and start scrolling through your text messages. Pull up your bank account app and scroll through your recent transactions. You could maybe go to that secret folder that, you know, you don't want your spouse to know about. You know, they have secret mode on your phone these days where you can go and do whatever you want on your phone so no one can see your history. Go there and think about who's my God. Maybe go in your mind for a minute, go to your kitchen and look in your refrigerator. Who's my God? Maybe you can go and... uh, Go out to your car and and look in the console. You probably got a box of tissues in that console, but underneath the box of tissues, you got something you're hiding you don't want mama to find. What's your God? Who's your God? Incidentally, that happened one time. I was preaching a youth service, and I said, one of you, you've got something in your console that you know you're not supposed to have, and you need to go out right now while I'm preaching and go get it, and we're going to come in here and break it. A little 14-year-old girl came in with a vape pen that her mama didn't know about. And she said, well, she wasn't 14. She was driving. She was just, just started driving. She was young. Had a vape pen she brought in. She said, I thought I was smart hiding it in there. Like, that's where every kid hides stuff. <laughs> wasn't hard to miss on that word from the Lord. Somebody had something in a console somewhere, but brought it in. She said, you know what? I can't compromise. We got to break that vape pen right in front and during the service at the altar. She laid it before the Lord. Who's your God? And what's your God? Think about that for a second. Now think about, because you we all know. I don't have to sit here too long. You know who your God is. You know what is the most important thing. Well, let me put it this way because sorry, I know we where, what time are we at? Oh no, I got 15 minutes. We're good. Listen. You might say, No, I do love Jesus. And I do really love God. And I want to serve God. But there's something that God has called you to remove from your life. And you haven't been willing to remove it from your life. 
And I, I, I hate to tell you this, but you're, if that is you, you are dangerously close to worshiping that thing instead of God. Because if He's really your God, whatever He asks of you, you'll give to Him. Whatever He asks you to remove, you'll give to Him. I'm not saying necessarily that if you get hit by a truck out here today, you're going to go to hell over it. But you're dangerously close to worshiping something else instead of worshiping God. If He's called you to say, hey, this doesn't belong in your life and you haven't been willing to submit it to Him. Who is your God and what has He done for you lately? What has that drug or that issue or that app or that boyfriend or that girlfriend or that uh, you're married and that boyfriend or that girlfriend or whatever, what have they done? Have they healed your marriage ever? No. Have they made your finances better? No. Have they really fulfilled your heart? No. Only the God who answers by fire is the one who is who ought to be God in your life. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Pastor Seth, you just said something in the last few minutes that I know you were speaking to me. Nobody else is looking around. I'm making sure everybody's eyes are closed. Nobody's going to gossip. Nobody's going to talk about it. Pastor Seth, in the last few moments, you said something and you were speaking directly to me and I know it. Would you lift your hand up and tell me? Let me know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, how many of you would say, you know what, Pastor Seth? I really have let some other things become God in my life. And I need to get it right today. Lift your hand and say, come on, be honest with me right now. I don't want I don't want food to be my God. I don't want uh, uh, a beverage to be my God. I don't want an app to be my God. I don't want uh, a job to be my I, I want the God who's got the fire to be my God. Come on, several hands lifted up. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. Y'all can look at me real quick. I'm going to pray. She's going to lead us in a worship song. You're among friends and people who love you and will never judge you. And if you say, I lifted my hand, Pastor Seth, I already know who you are. But if you are going to, if you're willing to step out while we sing this last worship song and let your pastor pray with you, I want you, I won't embarrass you, I promise. And nobody's going to judge you. Everybody's going to love you. And we're going to be proud of you. And we're going to say, thank God that they're just being leading, following the leading of the Holy Spirit. But as she sings this last song, I'm going to stand right here. And if you say, you know what, I raise my hand and I want my pastor to pray with me and my church family to agree with me for my future, I want you to step out. Father, in the name of Jesus, just as we begin to sing, would you just move on the hearts of your people? Lord, your word said, if you stand for me, I'll stand for you. Lord, we just say we're going to step out right now and be obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit and submit to you and make you the God of fire, our God. In Jesus' name, Pastor Katie, lead us as we pray. Search the world, it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. Then you came.
God.